Joe Biden wants to break the internet and video games. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today, I know you're not used to seeing it in Virtual Legality, but we are going to talk about something that is at least politics adjacent. Now, if you haven't watched the video and you've already left your comment decrying the fact that I'm about to say something negative about Joe Biden, either because I'm pro-Warren or I'm pro-Sanders or I'm pro-Trump or whatever, I thank you very much for your comment. I appreciate it. That helps with the algorithm. Thank you so much for visiting the channel. But in all honesty, as you might expect, if you're familiar with the channel, if you're familiar with this series, while this conversation is politics adjacent, what I want to talk about is the law. I want to talk about business on the internet. I want to talk about virtual legality. And as it happens, the universe of virtual legality actually intersected politics in what I think is a very interesting way over this past week. Now, the New York Times puts out interviews with the various candidates for presidential office in order to determine who they are going to endorse, who the uh, editorial board for the New York Times is going to endorse. Now, they didn't wind up endorsing Joe Biden, uh, but his answers are very interesting. He is one of the leaders in the polls. And while I don't really want to make a specific political stance on these various things, I do think it's interesting to read these interviews. I do think it's interesting to find out what these candidates are about. And as someone that regularly talks about the internet, uh, that regularly talks about video games, I thought he had a number of very interesting questions that kind of suggest a neo-Luddite-ism that I think we, if you're following me on virtual legality, if you're a regular follower of anybody on YouTube or anywhere else on the internet, should be cognizant of. I'm not telling you not to vote for him because of this. I'm not talking to you, telling you to vote for him because of this, but I do think you should take these things into account. I'll also say this, just about every presidential candidate is of a certain generation, is of a certain age, that they're gonna say things that look a little bit like this. One of the things I'm gonna point out as part of this video is presidential nominee Joe Biden's kind of concepting of the Communications Decency Act, how the internet operates, how Section 230 operates, is not unique to him. He just put it out in black and white in a fashion that we can react to right now. It's not even unique to his party. Uh, one of the things that he's actually lining up pretty well with is a discussion that we had earlier this summer about Senator Hawley and his attempts to kind of reimagine Section 230 in order to come after the Facebooks of the world in a more succinct fashion. And you've heard President Trump come out against the various tech companies. This is something that the political class, at least a certain type of politician, can agree on, even though it's something that I very much disagree with. So let's take a look at the actual question, what was asked of him, what he answered, how he's wrong. Yeah, I'm going to go out there and say he's wrong on a bunch of this stuff, primarily because of the way the actual text of the law reads, how he's wrong, and why it's dangerous. So we've got here the interviewer, Charlie Warzel. He says, sure, Mr. Vice President, in October, your campaign sent a letter to Facebook regarding an ad that falsely claimed that you blackmailed Ukrainian officials to not investigate your son. I'm curious, did that experience dealing with Facebook and their power, did that change the way that you see the power of tech platforms right now? Now, that's interesting kind of framing in any event, because you're talking about someone running for one of the most powerful positions in the free world. So we always have to kind of take that into uh, our understanding that when you are talking about corporatism 
whether or not you want to break the corporations, whether or not you want to change the law to make it harder on them. You're talking about someone that's going to have pretty much plenary authority at an executive level in the United States government. So it's always an interesting framing device. But here's what he says. He says, no, I've never been a fan of Facebook, as you probably know. I've never been a big Zuckerberg fan. I think he's a real problem. I think, can you elaborate? The interviewer responds, no, I can. I can. And here's where the answers get fun. He knows better. And you know, from my perspective, I've been in the view that not only should we be worrying about the concentration of power, the size of a thing like Facebook, we should be worried about the lack of privacy, data regulation, okay, and them being exempt, which you're not exempt. Now, that's not terribly specific. Again, we give a lot of leeway to people that are speaking live. This sounds like a recorded kind of interview. This doesn't appear to be edited very much. So we're not going to hold them to it that, that hard. But them being exempt, which you are not exempt, refers to liability for publishing of things online. We're going to get to that. Oh, yes, we're going to get to that. The Times can't write something that you know to be false and be exempt from being sued. But he can. That's almost entirely incorrect. So I want you to put a pin in that. Keep that in mind. He says, the New York Times can't write something you know to be false. That's generally accurate. That'll be defamation. That'll be liable against someone if certain other kind of mechanisms are met, if there are actual damages, things along those lines. He says, but Zuckerberg can. And I'm going to talk to you about the law, but he can't. That's not what Section 230 does. It doesn't say Facebook can write something false. Uh, It's completely separate from that. It says Facebook won't be treated as a publisher for essentially selling advertising space or for what its own people put up on a social media site. Can't sue Facebook for that. But I'm going to talk to you about how 230 operates. Also, how that's not terribly unusual in the world of defamation law. The idea that it's a tech company is that Section 230 should be revoked, immediately should be revoked. Number one, for Zuckerberg and other platforms. Well, if you revoke it, it's going to be revoked for everybody. So if you're only trying to attack Zuckerberg, you're going to, you're going to hit Zuckerberg with a cannon. Uh, and that's going to affect a lot of people on the internet. And the New York Times interviewer knows that. The follow-up question is, that's a pretty foundational law of the modern internet. To which Joe Biden responds, that's right. Exactly right. And it should be revoked. It should be revoked because it is not merely an internet company. It is propagating falsehoods they know to be false. And we should be setting standards not unlike the Europeans are doing relative to privacy. You guys still have editors. I'm sitting with them. Not a joke. There is no editorial impact at all on Facebook. None. None whatsoever. It's irresponsible. It's totally irresponsible. Now, you're going to hear something from me that I don't say very often. I feel for politicians to some extent on this. I feel for people that have a certain amount of celebrity. Frankly, at even 7,000 subscribers, I'm starting to get responses and things on my own social media that I didn't expect and people saying various things about me when I'm not involved in the conversation. That's a very interesting feeling. The modern world and the digital age is a very interesting place to be. I don't envy any of these folks that go out there and try to get 40, 50, 60 million votes because that's a lot of people with a lot of opinions about you and there's going to be a lot of falsehoods that are spread about you. So I don't envy them that position. But what he actually says here is that he wants it to be more like Europe relative to privacy. Well, Europe relative to privacy is conflating the issue, right? He does it all right. He actually separates these things out in his previous answer where he talks about data and he talks about exemption from liability as two separate things. They are two separate things. So he's conflating those issues. And then he once again conflates the notion that the New York Times has editors that control what they write. To which I would say to President Candidate Biden, 
Do you not think that Facebook, when they go out there with an actual Facebook blog post, when they actually publish something for themselves, do you not think that there is a team of people that are behind that? We have analyzed in virtual legality alone, which has only been around for now 13, 14 months, a number of different statements that Facebook has made, a number of different blog posts that they have made about their own terms and conditions and the things they have faced, including congressional testimony and things of that nature. That is Facebook editorializing and actually publishing on its own, to which it would be held to a liability standard if it actually defamed someone. So presidential nominee Biden is conflating these two different standards. And in a way that's very dangerous, because as the New York Times interviewer rightly points out, Section 230 is a foundational law of the modern internet. Now let's take a look at the actual text, because if there's nothing else that you take from virtual legality, go to the source if you can. It's all online. We live in a fantastic era for research, for information, for education. Go to the source if you can. Now, I want to point out before we head to Section 230 itself that I actually did a video on Section 230 that I think is pretty informative. Uh, I did it in the summer when we were analyzing Republican Senator Hawley's push to actually have some of these tech giants be more liable to actually remove some of the restrictions on Section 230. I did a video on this about 40 minutes long. I think it's pretty good. We talk about the various tech giants. We talk about things like fairness uh, and how that has been perceived in the government sale of things like radio broadcasting rights in the past and how what certain portions of the political class want to do to Section 230 kind of reflect that fairness notion. So I do recommend you check it out. But isn't it interesting the kind of bedfellows that are kept here, whether you're Trump or Biden or Senator Hawley, all of you, because you're public facing, because you want to attack certain things about Silicon Valley or the tech giants, maybe because you don't understand them, I don't know. I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt on these things. I, I want to believe that the people that are writing these laws have at least done some research and understand a bit about how these things operate. Maybe you don't understand them entirely. You want to attack them because you look at this, you look at this liability shield and you see it for something that it is not. You see it as distinct from the New York Times editorial board when it is anything but. The right way to think of Section 230 and the Communications Decency Act in general for this purpose is that it is treating the internet service provider or what they call provider of interactive computer services in this particular law as a billboard company, right? They are selling space online. They are making available for people the ability to put their own messages up on this billboard to potentially buy space on this billboard. And when Congress passed this act, it was on the premise that overall, relative freedom, relative churn of information and messaging on the internet was a good thing. You can see it right here in all these recitals that they have. A and B here are not really operative legal statements. It's the Congress finds that the development of the internet is great. These services offer a great degree of control over the information that they have. The internet offers a forum for true diversity of political discourse. The internet has flourished to the benefit of all Americans, and we want to continue to promote that and preserve the vibrant and competitive free market that presently exists for the internet and other interactive computer services unfettered by federal or state regulation. They believe the internet as it was beginning to be constituted was good. And so they wanted to pass a liability shield for these various companies to have them create services 
that would allow ordinary United States citizens to buy advertising or to put their messages up to groups of people that are huge in number. You've got a random person in Idaho with a Twitter Twitter follower number of 2.3 million, and they can get their message out because Twitter doesn't have to worry that if that person goes and says something that is libelous, that Twitter itself will be obligated to contribute to a claim for libel. All Twitter did was connect these pipes. And you can always go sue the person that actually made the statement. That doesn't change. And if the New York Times issues a tweet, then the New York Times can be sued based on that tweet. But you can't come after Twitter. It's very similar to that. And that's why Joe Biden's statement is so wrong. So let's take a look at what this thing actually does. It's very easy. Section 230 is one of the easiest laws that we're probably ever going to read in virtual legality because it's like three sentences long. It says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service, think Twitter, think Facebook, think YouTube, shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Those are the two defined terms. Information content provider, that's your poster, that's your OP, that's the guy that's making a virtual legality episode right now. I'm responsible for what I say, but YouTube allows me to post it on their website. And because of section 230, they are not liable if I happen to say something libelous about person X. And person X could potentially have a suit against me, but they can't drag YouTube in because of this section. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated, and this is the reason that Senator Hawley and President Trump and some other folks come after things in Section 230. The second part of this says no provider or user of an interactive computer service, so YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or the availability of material that the provider or user, YouTube, considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is otherwise constitutionally protected. And then B is, uh, if you operate an internet service and can help people restrict that access, you're also not liable if you're, if you're helping to accomplish those various things. So the fight that happens right here, and you probably saw this online, we discussed it in the earlier video, is, is there a point where an internet computer service actually becomes an information content provider. And there's theories going around the internet that basically suggest that that's a possibility. I will say this, you know, one of the things we like to do in virtual legality is take it to the reductio ad absurdum. We take it all the way to the end and see if there's actually any grain of truth in one of these kind of conspiratorial claims. And I will say that there is. So if we imagine kind of a chiseling theory of putting out a message. Let's imagine that there's a Facebook out there and Facebook wants to actually operate secretly as a uh, nationalist site. They just only want nationalist messages uh, about America. You can imagine a situation where Facebook could say, hey, that's gonna be our plan and we want you to delete every message on our platform that isn't specifically nationalist. And you can imagine that the end result of such a process would be that Facebook, outward facing to the world, only presents these nationalist messages. Now, if you take that conceptually, is Facebook now 
the publisher of the nationalist messages which it has allowed to survive. If we pretend that that was one one millionth of a percent of the entire universe of messages that were otherwise on the service, you can start to see a theory that Facebook probably should be considered the information content provider because it took such a heavy hand at editing that what it left standing has to be the message that it wanted to convey. It is really a content provider, essentially by subtraction instead of by addition. And from that point, you can start to say, okay, if it's one one millionth of a percent that survives, what is the actual threshold? If it's 10%, if I'm just kind of curating what I want on there, if Facebook is just saying, all right, every kind of climate message over here can survive, every kind of climate message over here can't survive, and goes down the list until it looks exactly like the DNC or the RNC or the Libertarian Party's talking points, whatever it might be, is it suddenly the information content provider? And then if something it should be liable for survived its heavy-handed vetting process, should it fall under kind of a liability loophole in Section 230 and actually be liable for that libel? And the answer to that is no one knows, right? The, the answer to that is probably not because this law is written so clearly to say we don't want internet computer service providers to be liable for these voluntary actions taken in good faith. But there's a decent legal theory at the far ends of the spectrum here. So when you start to get these complaints about a various tech giant acting in a specifically political or other agenda-driven way, you start to have those arguments. So Biden comes out and says, well, they are exempt from anything false that they say directly. That's obviously not true. But where there is a kernel of truth is that they can kind of contour the actual messaging that they make. So I want to say Joe Biden wants to break the internet because I think without Section 230, you would have major, major problems with virtually every piece of the internet because every forum, every social media post, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, anything you can think of that has content that's otherwise provided by ordinary citizens that aren't affiliated with the company in question would have to change their business model, would have to change everything about how they operate, and the internet would have significant problems, would look significantly differently without this section put in place. But does that mean it's perfect? I think if you're this far into virtual legality, then you know that the answer to that is no. Laws are written by human beings. They weren't descended upon from the mountaintop and I do think you could fix some of this stuff. One of the things I've highlighted here is that these providers are allowed to make these changes to anything they otherwise find objectionable. You know, you could argue that obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, and harassing are clear enough reasons to modulate whatever is on your actual service, but that otherwise objectionable is the large truck that eats the rest of the law because otherwise objectionable could be a political stance. If you're Mark Zuckerberg and you just hate Republican stance X, that's objectionable to you and you run your company. So if you just take out every reference to Republican stance X, that's allowed under this and you can't be liable for it because the surviving messaging, even if it was only Democratic talking points, doesn't make you the publisher of those materials, at least not obviously so. So there are holes to fix in Section 230. I don't want to suggest that there aren't, but that's a longer conversation. And it goes without saying at this point that the way the Joe Bidens of the world read this section is almost manifestly incorrect. This is about people other than Facebook making statements on their service, not about Facebook itself. 
And to kind of put a button on that, we actually have laws in various states of the union. I'm a Michigan lawyer, so I have the Michigan law kind of picked out here that talk about how the newspapers and radio providers of the world are not going to be held liable for the the libel or the slander that they otherwise publish in certain respects, the respects that we might expect. So I pulled out just a, a section here under the Michigan law. It says, if the libel has been published in a newspaper, magazine, or other periodical publication, or by a radio or television broadcast, and again, this definition isn't perfect because it doesn't include most of the things that we would think about in the internet or in virtual legality, the servants and agents of the publisher or proprietor or the, of the periodical or radio or television station or network and the news agents and other persons who have been connected with the libel only by selling or distributing the publication containing the libel and who have not acted maliciously in selling or publishing the libel shall not be required to contribute and shall not be taken into account in determining the amount that any joint tortfeasor is required to contribute under the provisions of this section. Said another way, for the most part, if you are operating your news service or your television station or your magazine or newspaper in a fashion that is ordinary course of business and you sell something or you otherwise publish something in an interview that happens to be false and libelous and damaging and everything else that might need to qualify as libel in your various state or jurisdiction, at least under this provision in Michigan law, which is only one jurisdiction, you're going to have a defense to a claim that you should be liable for it at all. And that makes sense, right? We see all sorts of advertisements on billboards or in newspapers or on television that maybe aren't manifestly false, but are at least walking the line. And ordinarily, we wouldn't expect someone to be able to go and sue the local ABC station for a commercial that's maybe national that has something that looks a little bit like a falsehood. Now, what I always tell clients and what I've said in virtual legality before is anybody can sue anybody for any reason. So it wouldn't surprise me if that ABC local station was in fact a party to the initial lawsuit, but gets kicked out pretty quick because they're probably not responsible for the libel here. Although you do see some legal language even in this law that talks about maliciousness. And I think various jurisdictions are going to have things that say, hey, if you acted with actual malice, if you worked with your buddy to publish that libelous ad in your newspaper and you knew it was false and you knew it was damaging and you were malicious in the sale, then probably you're still liable, right? Probably you still owe something to the guy that has been damaged because it was malicious in its intent. But the New York Times, various Michigan newspapers and radio stations and television stations, for the most part, they're not going to be held responsible for uh, taking something from the wire and putting it up on their own website or in their own newspaper. And when it turns out to be libelous, they're not going to be responsible for the damages because they reported on something that was newsworthy. They didn't have any malice in reporting it. And who is going to be responsible for that libel? It's going to be the actual content creator. So Section 230 is a powerful, powerful shield that protects Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. And you can 100% argue the details of that protection. I will never, ever stop anybody from engaging with and talking about the details about how a law actually operates. Things can always be done better. But to just say it needs to be removed I don't like Zuckerberg. I don't like Facebook. They have too much power. Section 230 is totally irresponsible and it encourages this irresponsible behavior. Is not paying attention to the history of publishing reports and advertising and messaging. It's not paying attention to what Facebook and these social media companies actually are. 
what they're analogous to and what liabilities they still continue to have. And ultimately, it kind of belies an inability to fully understand how the digital age functions. And you see that really borne out as he continues in this interview. And I just want to bring this up because in virtual legality, we talk so much about video games and pop culture in general. You see here one of my personal bugaboos. You've heard me talk about the old Mortal Kombat and Night Trap hearings and whenever the Senate kind of jumps in with loot box discussions and things of that nature. You see here the kind of disconnect between how the actual world operates and, and what politicians think it looks like from their, from their perch. He says, hey, you may recall the criticism I got for meeting with the leaders in Silicon Valley when I was trying to work out an agreement dealing with the protecting intellectual property for artists in the United States of America. And at one point, one of the little creeps sitting around that table, who was a multi, close to a billionaire, who told me he was an artist because he was able to come up with games to teach you how to kill people. You know the, like video games, interjects the reporter. Yeah, video games. And I was lectured by one of the senior leaders there that by saying if I insisted on what Leahy'd put together and we were, I thought we were going to fully support, that they would blow up the network, figuratively speaking, have everybody contact. They go out and go out and contact the switchboard and just blow it up. Now, I can't tell you exactly what specific thing he's talking about here. During the Obama administration, there were a number of attempts to change certain aspects of the intellectual property laws, some of which you might remember uh, from the Reddits and the Wikipedias of the world going dark and, and threatening protests over various things like SAPA and other proposals. Uh, but you can see here just kind of the overall disconnect, right? He refers to a multimillionaire close to a billionaire who told me he was an artist because he was able to come up with games to teach you how to kill people. He refers to this person as a little creep and then gets upset that they threaten to call up his switchboards for a specific intellectual property law. And then he continues with this answer. He says, the fact is, in every other revolution that we've had technologically, it's taken somewhere between six years and a generation for a government to come in and level the playing field again. So for one, obviously his stance is that the government needs to come in and level the playing field. This is all in response, actually, to the Section 230 and Facebook and tech question. He just kind of has a sidelight into video games for a second. All of a sudden, remember the Luddites smashing the machinery in the Midlands? That was their answer when the culture was changing. Same thing with television, same thing before that with radio. Same thing, but this is gigantic, and it's a responsibility of government to make sure it is not abused. Not abused. And so this is one of those areas where I think it's being abused. For example, the idea that he, I think that's Zuckerberg in this, in this context, cooperates with knowing that Russia was engaged in dealing with using the internet I mean, using their platform, Facebook, one assumes, to try to undermine American elections, that's close to criminal. So he's got here this stance that these video game companies are creeps. They're teaching people how to kill the Luddites and that broke up machinery. The folks that reacted to television, radio, basically they had the right idea. I think the only thing you can kind of take from an answer like this is that the government needs to come in and fix things. And so the people that are reacting to sudden technological shifts that culturally change the landscape are justified in their kind of response to that until the government comes in and fixes things. And so that's the premise under which he's operating in Section 230. So I, I, I focus this video on Section 230 because that's the important part. That's the part that would really, really impact the Internet. But obviously, as a guy that loves video games, that loves interactive entertainment, that has found it to be some of the best experiences that I've had the personal uh, luck to enjoy, 
uh, throughout my lifetime to have him essentially call these folks creeps uh, that are teaching people to how to kill. You have to look at something like this and say, hey, you know, he wants to break the internet. He wants to break video games. He wants to break interactive entertainment. He wants to be the Luddite smashing the machinery in the Midlands as he describes it, but he wants to do it with the full force in favor of the U.S. federal government. And again, I didn't make this video to tell you how to vote. I didn't make this video to tell you how to think one way or the other about these politics, but hopefully to try to explain how Section 230 works, why this is a kind of existential threat to what I presume, if you're following me on YouTube, you personally enjoy and the content that is provided to you by various people around the country and around the world that will get cut off if places like YouTube and Google and Facebook and Twitter and, and everybody else wind up having personal liability for anything that anybody says anywhere instead of being a billboard company that simply allows those messages to, to have some kind of public purchase. That if you like those things, this is the kind of thing you should be paying attention to. So check out the Joe Biden interview. Check out the Elizabeth Warren interview. If they wind up doing an interview with President Trump, check that out. Honestly, as I said, Virtually every politician has their holes on this specific issue on things that are important and that are pertinent to virtual legality. So by all means, check them out, read about them, put them in the comments to my video. If there's something else that jumps out like this, I will do another video on it. I don't want to make this channel into a political channel. I don't want to make this channel into something that only talks about Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or Donald Trump or anyone else. But I do want to have this channel. I do want to have virtual legality talk about these things, how they could change, and what impact that would have on just your day-to-day -day life from a change in the law like that. If you love the internet as it sits today, you should be cognizant of what Senator Hawley is trying to get through. You should be cognizant of what a presidential nominee or, or candidate like Joe Biden wants to get through, because those will impact your day-to-day -day life. Those will impact how you enjoy what you enjoy, and it's, it's worth noting. Uh, a number of people comment in these videos to what should I do now? Should I panic? Should I contact my legislature? No, not yet. But it's something that you need to keep in mind. It's something you need to watch because Section 230 and the Communications Decency Act in general is going to be a hot topic for the foreseeable future uh, because the Facebooks and the YouTubes of the world, you know, maybe they've pressed too close to the line. Maybe they've offended people on both sides of the aisle a little bit too much. Uh, but if they have, uh, it's going to be a wild and woolly time for the internet, and I hope you stick with me to check out just what those kind of changes that are to be proposed wind up looking like. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you checked us out on YouTube, thank you so much for watching, uh, and uh, please like, please subscribe, please share it around with anybody you think might be interested. If you caught it on its podcast form, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.